of well-meaning people out there that are ready to give you advice about marriage. The only problem is they have no clue what it takes to build a marriage whatsoever. They, they, uh, they have good intentions, but terrible advice. One of the biggest lies probably about marriage um, is that it's always going to be easy. The, the, and probably, and this hurts a little bit to tell you this, that Disney is probably one of the biggest liars in this area. That if you just find the right person, or if you just wait long enough, Prince Charming, or, or you're going to find that princess, they're going to come along. And once you do, you're just going to live happily ever after. You're never going to have any rough spots, never going to have hardship. It's just going to be beautiful and easy from that moment on. It's just finding that person is the trick. And so that lasts for a couple, sometimes about a day, sometimes a month, sometimes about a year. And then reality sets in that, that it's not really this fairy tale that Disney has told us about our whole life. And so some of you have kind of realized that. Another piece of bad advice that I've heard folks give when it comes to marriage is that two things will glue your marriage together, renovating your house and getting kids involved. Okay, So I'm going to tell you that they will tell you that if you renovate your house, you'll have new space and everything will be new. It'll be great except it'll be the worst thing for your marriage ever. And the other thing is, if you add pets or kids to it, um, it'll make everything better. That you'll have this kind of common thing, and kind of like they showed in the video, that, that your love for this little pet or this little beautiful baby girl or boy, it's just going to overwhelm you so much, you won't fight about anything ever again. Right? You won't have any more troubles, you won't have any more fights. And if you're a parent... You know that is the very furthest thing from the truth. I know lots of couples that uh, maybe are staying together for the kids, but that doesn't mean they have a great marriage or a good marriage. Uh, the last lie that I'll probably share with you that I think our, our society kind of puts out there is that um, you and your spouse are the only ones that don't have a perfect marriage. That everybody's sitting around you right now, and everybody uh, that you know at work, and everybody that you see anywhere else, and even your pastor sitting up around, we all have a perfect marriage. The only one that doesn't is you, all right? And so the, we kind of put this idea that every marriage is beautiful, and every marriage is perfect, and if you're having a hard time, you're the only one that's doing that. And the truth is, that's, that's wrong, all right? That every marriage has a rough spot. Every marriage has its, its difficulties, and every marriage, even as great as they may be, They've got some room for improvement. They can be just a little bit better. And so I think part of our problem in our society is that we so often turn to imperfect people for marital advice instead of turning to the perfect God who created marriage and gave us perfect advice for that. So this morning, we're going to talk about building a better marriage through the book of Proverbs. We're going to turn to God and His design. And so we're going to read Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. And then we're going to be looking at a whole lot of other Proverbs as we go through uh, our time together. But I want you to understand that this is not marital advice from Michael Rakes. This is not the perfect pastor Michael Rakes telling you he's got the perfect marriage and here's how you do it. This is God's Word telling you that if you want to build a better marriage, these are ways to do it. All right? So we're going to read Proverbs chapter 30, or, yeah, 24, excuse me, um, and verses 3 and 4. And then we'll uh, continue on there. But Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4 says this, A house is built by wisdom, and it is established by understanding. By knowledge the rooms are, full, or, excuse me, are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for who you are. And uh, God, we thank you that we can stand and we can sing that you are holy, holy, holy. And God, in that recognition of praying that and singing that, God, we know that you are and we are not. And so, God, we thank you that you gave your son. We thank you that you gave us a path back to you in all the times that we were everything but holy. God, even in these moments when we were here reading your word and worshiping you, and God, we are still not holy because it's who we are. 
And so, God, I thank you that we can stand and we can sing through the sacrifice of your son, that we can stand and we can sing and we can rejoice in the fact that you are holy and you are making us that way and you see us that way even though we are not because of what your son did for us. And so, God, I thank you for the men and women who are gathered in this room uh, that are gathered online, God, to hear your words of wisdom today. God, I pray that these aren't just words of wisdom that we will just read and pass over and we won't put any second thought to them. God, I am praying this morning. Uh, God, that you will use your word in a mighty way, God, to change marriages, to grow marriages, and to, to fix families, God, that may be on the brink of falling apart. God, I pray that today be the turning point for them. God, that your word is powerful, and it's active, and it's living. And so, God, I'm praying that it's effective in our lives today. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For many of you, you know that my dad uh, grew up, or I grew up, uh, doing construction. My dad owned a construction company pretty much my whole life. And so I started really young being on construction sites and, and driving around and looking at different houses. And so uh, there were times that we would drive up to a house, and it was very early in the process. Like, it would just have a skeleton of a wall, all right? And then there were other times we'd drive up to a house, and it would be, like, almost ready to move in. It just needed a few little uh, final touch-up points, all right? And so as I was driving around, around with dad and at this young age I began to kind of pick up on these patterns and I was really young that you'd see three or four guys working on this house and then you'd drive across town and you'd see like four or five guys working on this house doing something completely different and I began to try to figure out in my young mind how did all this work like how are these guys over here doing this thing and then these are different people over here doing something different and you establish something that is livable all right now you got to understand where I'm coming from when I'm asking this question again like I said I'm little but my only building experience at that time physically was me trying to build forts either in my house or in my backyard with my friends that live down the road right and if you have boys you know this that they're going to build forts but they don't have any kind of thought in building the fort. They're just going to get materials and do it, right? And, and I built several forts that lasted about 30 seconds, right? And we built several forts. And so it kind of baffled me as a kid is how do you get all these people at all these different times doing all this different stuff and you get something that lasts for a long time? And that people actually not only want to live in, but feel safe to live in. Like, how does that work? And so I asked my dad, I'm like, Dad, I just, I, I, how does all this work? Like, how do you get all these different people to do all this different stuff at all this different time and wind up with something that's safe for someone to live in? And then he showed me the secret of the blueprints. Okay, he, that's the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that I didn't know anything about. He showed me the secret of the blueprints. Some of you know blueprints. Some of you have never seen a blueprint. But what he showed me was he showed me this huge packet, this rolled up, and he unrolled it all, and he said long before anybody ever built this house, and long before anybody ever started building anything on this house, somebody sat down, and they drew out this very detailed plan of everything about this house. He said this little plan, or this big plan, shows where every wall is supposed to be. It shows where every door is supposed to be. It tells me which way the doors are going to open. It shows me where every window is going to be. It shows me which way I'm supposed to run wires, which way the air is going to flow. It shows me everything, how steep the roof is going to be. Everything about this house is in this plan right here. And all of us can work together because we're all working on the same plan. And if, if we have the same plan, we all start with the same plan, and we're all intentional about following the same plan, then it doesn't matter who's doing or what's doing it. It's all going to work together because we have a common plan. All right? And so I begin to realize, even at a young age, that if you're going to have a house 
that is stable, if you're going to have a house that, that's livable, you've got to start with a plan, and you have to build according to that plan. And that's exactly what the verses that we read kind of show us. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, they kind of point that out pretty clearly. It says simply this, that if you're going to build, you start with a plan, and you follow that plan. It says this, a house is built by wisdom, and is established by understanding. When it's built by wisdom, it means that there's thought and there's intentionality in building this building. You don't just put a board here, and you don't just put a board there. You don't just run wires this way and that way and hope somehow at the end that they come back together. Right? You don't build that way. You build with this plan and this intention of this is what we're going to end up with, and this is what we got to do to get to where we're going to end up. Otherwise, you just wind up with this kind of hodgepodge of crazy stuff's going on. And so you start with this plan, and then you intentionally follow this plan, and that's how you get something that's established. And by established, the other, the other way to translate established there means that it's firm. It's solid. It's stable. Right? It can withstand storms. When the wind blows, this house isn't going to fall over because it's established. When, when there's a, a big storm that comes, it's going to be there. It's established. You don't have to worry about it falling over or falling down. And see, part of our problem is that we don't focus on that part of the building. Too many of us focus on the second part. We focus on verse 4. Let's just fill it up with all the treasures. Okay, In verse 4 it says that by knowledge the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. See, so many of us, we just look for the treasures and the beautiful stuff and we forget we need to take care of the surroundings. We need to make sure that our structure is safe. None of us would take all of our most precious prized possessions and put them in a building that you thought honestly could blow over or fall over at any time. You wouldn't do that. If you've got something that's precious, you put it in something that's protected, something that's going to be solid, and something that's going to be firm. And so if we're going to build a house that way, then we've got to make sure that we're, we're establishing it that way. And I want you to imagine for just a minute, this is the way my mind works, so play make-believe with me for just a minute. I want you to imagine if you bought everything you needed to establish a house, to build a house, okay? So buy everything, go to Lowe's, maybe have them delivered, have it all delivered. You've got this plot of land, and I want you to deliver everything to this plot of land. All right, so everybody's with me. And then you're going to invite 60 to 90 people. That's about what it takes to build a house. So you've got all this stuff in the middle of this wide open field. You're going to invite 60 to 90 people, and you're going to say, all right, here it is. Go to work. All right? You're not going to give them any plan. You're not going to give them any instructions. You're going to say, all right, here's all the stuff you need. Do it. How many of you would sign up to live in that house? Probably none of us, right? None of us would be like, yeah, that's a great idea. I think next time I do something, I think I'm going to build it that way. None of us would do that. None of us would want to buy that house. None of us want to live in that house. But here's the struggle that we were facing. We wouldn't live in a house that way, but many of us are living in homes that are exactly that way. We're living in homes that don't have a plan, and we're not intentional about following a plan. You see, a house is the physical structure. The home are the people and the marriage that we have. And so we wouldn't dare live in a house that there's not a plan or intentionality, but we're living in homes and we're living in marriages that have no plan and no intentionality. Some of us jumped into marriage with no plan. We just fell head over heels in love with somebody and we just jumped into this marriage thing because it felt right and this is what everybody told us to do. And so we just jumped in with marriage without giving this kind of forethought to it. What is it this is going to look like two years, three years, four years, five years down the road? What do we want out of this? We just jumped in because it felt right. And there's some of us that, that we had a plan. When we first got married, we, we had this plan that we were going to follow. This is what our life was going to look like. But then we weren't intentional in following that plan. And now we're just kind of in this marriage, and we're just kind of stuck there, and we're just kind of drifting in our marriage. 
right? And, and I'm going to be honest with you that we're just kind of, you may be with your spouse and you're just kind of drifting along through life together. And I'm going to tell you this, I have never seen marriages drift closer together. I've always seen them drift further and further apart. You see, here's what I'm telling you. If we're not intentional about being together and building our marriage together, it's only going to drift apart. It's never going to magically drift its way back together. We're always going to drift apart because it takes effort to be together, but it takes zero effort if you're just going to drift through life and let it fall apart. And so I want you to understand that if you are in a marriage that has no wisdom or no planning or you're in a marriage that there's no intention, it's just drifting along, then here's my first piece of advice. You need to go back to the blueprints. You need to go back to the plan. And, and not just start anywhere in the plan. You've got to go back to the very beginning of the plan. You see, so many of us started on page three or four of the blueprints trying to build our marriage with let's get a house and let's get kids. And we forgot we need to start with a home. And we forgot the start of that home is page one of the blueprints. And that's where we need to go. And so it tells us in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, what page one looks like. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's page one. So listen, if you want a solid, steady, firm marriage, then you have to have wisdom and you have to have knowledge. That's how you get it established. But if you're going to get those things, you have to have a correct relationship with God. That's where Proverbs chapter 9 says. So I want you to hear me. If I want to build a better marriage, it doesn't start with me and my wife. If I'm going to build a better marriage, it starts with me and God. It starts with my wife and God. Because as much as I want a better marriage, if all I'm doing is trying to invest in my relationship with my wife and I'm not investing in my relationship with God, I'm never going to have a solid, firm marriage. Why? Because that's page one of the blueprints. That's where it all starts. Another author put it this way. He says that a right relationship with God through Christ will lead to a right relationship with others, including your family. Get this. He says if there's a lack of harmony in your home, it's probably because there's a lack of harmony with Jesus. Did you get that? If there's a problem in your marriage, you don't need to go to your spouse and point it out to them right now. Right? If you're looking to build a better home and build a better marriage, then you need to start on your knees because there may be a problem between your connection with God. And if you're going to build a better marriage, then you've got to have it in a better relationship with Christ. Through a relationship with Christ, that's how you're going to gain wisdom. That's how you're going to gain understanding. This is the relationship. This is how you're going to build your house. This is going to how, how you're going to have a, an established home. This is how it's going to be solid and stable. This is the relationship that's going to fill everything with beautiful and precious treasures. And if we don't have that foundation, then it doesn't matter anything else I tell you. You can, you can go to anybody else, and if you miss this page of the blueprints, that the beginning of it starts with your relationship with God, then you've missed it all. You're going to live in a shaky house the rest of your life. But if you will start on page one, if you'll start with building according to the plan and being intentional of following that plan, and you've got to be intentional about it because it's never going to drift into it. You're going to drift away from it every single time. So there's got to be a plan, and there's got to be intentionality of building into this thing. What is it that I'm doing to better my relationship with Christ? And you'll see a better marriage. There's a second piece of advice that Proverbs tells us, and it's simply this. If you're going to build a better marriage then you need to learn to appreciate and to value each other. Right? I, I talk with lots of couples, and uh, some of them come to me with great things. Some of them come to me because their marriage is having a hard time. And, and I can almost tell you that probably 90% of the time, and that's just a rough estimate, probably 90% of the time that someone comes to me in their marriage and their marriage is having a hard time, 
communication is a big issue, but even deeper than that is this lack of appreciation and lack of value for the other person. And I can diagnose this fairly quickly. In fact, you can diagnose this fairly quickly in your own marriage. Is there this lack of appreciation? Here's what I want you to do. Think for just a minute. Um, Because if someone comes and they sit in my office and, and they start talking to me about their marriage, the way you diagnose this is I sit there and I listen, and if they say nothing good about their spouse, then here we are. This is the underlying issue in that marriage. Now, they're quick to, they got a whole list of things that are negative and wrong with their spouse. They've got a whole list of things their spouse doesn't do or doesn't do well or doesn't do well enough. And they will gladly give you that list. Right? Crazy things, maybe not so crazy, but things I, I hear on the list is, well, he just doesn't spend time with me or the family because he's always at work. Right? That's the negative that they give me. What they don't tell me is the reason he's working and working two jobs is because he's really doing that to support her spending habits. She don't see that. Or she's working two jobs to get them out of debt so that she can stay at home with the kids. You see, it's different when we look at a positive aspect of it from a negative aspect of it. Or maybe the husband will say, well, she doesn't cook for me. I come home and I expect this meal on the table and it's not there. And he doesn't mean it in a chauvinistic, stereotypical kind of way. This was the agreement. This is what they, this was the expectation. This is the agreement they worked on. And it's not happening. So he's like, she just doesn't do the things she's supposed to do anymore. What he doesn't tell me is that she's had three kids all day. She took them to the store. She took them uh, to the library. She cleaned the house. She got all this stuff ready with these three kids in tow. She taught them moral lessons because they're all three still alive. If you leave three kids by themselves, they're probably not going to be alive by the end of the day. So she taught them moral lessons. You can't kill each other when you want to. And she did all of this stuff with these three kids, and she is exhausted. And yes, your supper may have had to wait just a little bit, but imagine if you had to do that. Because the reality for most of us men, and I will speak personally, you may not be this, but I will tell you this, personally, I have tried to fill my wife's shoes, and I have failed miserably. All the stuff she does, like, I don't know how she does it, like, I can't even get a half of it done, and I've still lost a kid in the process somewhere, all right? And so we don't think about that in the positive aspect. We so much focus on the negative part of it. Well, they don't do this, and they don't do that, and they don't do it like this. And so if we're going to build a better marriage... We've got to learn to appreciate and to value each other. We've got to remember this, that one of your greatest gifts from God is your spouse. Your first greatest gift from God is Christ Jesus, but the second one is your spouse. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, and then we'll look at 19, verse 14. But 18, 22 says this, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now I want you to notice something real quick. There is not a qualifier in that statement. If you find a wife, any kind of wife, it doesn't say the perfect wife, it doesn't say a great wife, it doesn't say a wife that can cook, a wife that can... No. If a person, if a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing, and he obtains favor with the Lord. Now, verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 14, it's a little more specific in there. It says, a house and wealth are inherited from fathers, get this, but a sensible wife is from the Lord. So understand that your wife and your husband, and though I understand it's only addressing wives, and there are several verses that are doing that, because you got to understand Proverbs was mainly written from a husband, or excuse me, from a man to his son, okay? So he's going to address, son, if you find a wife, a sensible wife, you need to know that's a blessing from God. 
You need to understand and appreciate what God has given you. And see, the problem is that we focus so much on the negatives that we don't stop and appreciate and value each other for what the other one brings to the table. For husbands, you don't appreciate what your wife brings to the table. For wives, we don't appreciate what our, our husbands or wives, we don't appreciate what your husband brings to the table. Make sure I get all that right. And so what you're going to find is that if you're always focused on the negatives, you're never going to build a better marriage because you're always constantly on these negatives. And so stop and think for just a moment, this person that God has sent into my life, they're here for a reason and they're here for my good because everything that God does is for His glory and for your good. Everything. So every spouse is for your good. Understand that. And so if you're wanting to build a better marriage, let me give you two things to do. And these are very practical things. Number one, every single night... Before you go to sleep, you stop and you thank God for the spouse that you have. Every night. Every night. Stop and thank God. Why? Because he's the one that gave you that gift. He's the one that gave you that spouse. And so if you will do that, nothing else but just simply pray every single night, God, thank you for my spouse. I can't make guarantees, but here's one I will almost do. You will see your marriage build better if you will do that single prayer every single night. Here's another step you can do. This week... I want you to make a list of everything that your spouse does. All right? Now, some of you are like, well, that's going to be a very short list, Michael. <laughs> Wrong. All right? Go back to the focus on the positive here. All right? Here's what I want to do. Because if you think, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, that's going to be a very short list, you're not really thinking this through. Because I guarantee you there's things that your spouse does, your husband or your wife does, that you don't even think about. Right? There's all kinds of magical stuff that happens in our house. Right? It happens in your house, too. For example... Tonight, this afternoon, I'm going to take this shirt off, and I'm going to throw it in a laundry hamper. Magically, it's going to get through a washing machine and through a dryer, and it's going to magically show back up. Right? But not dirty, it's going to show back up clean. The, the dishes that somebody ate on last night, are, are magically, they were put in a sink dirty, but magically they showed up in a cabinet washed and clean the next day. Right? I don't, am I the only one that has magic in my house like this? We have magic in our house that this kind of stuff just happens. That magic, there's a magical bank account that money just shows up in. Somebody spends it and they get it down and then magically it just shows up. Can I share with you? There's no magic in your house. That's somebody else doing it. All right? So we need to, when you make this list of things that your spouse is doing, think of all those magical things that you're not doing that just magically happen. Someone, there's not little elves that come in in the middle of the night and do this in your house. I promise you. Okay? This is your spouse doing those things. So this week, I want you to make a list of all those magical things that happen in your house. And, and some of them, you don't even have to be the man. Like, you know your wife is keeping your three kids alive. You know your wife is fe- Like, make the list, add that to the list, right? And so add all this stuff to a list for a week. And then take it a step further. At the end of the week, you have this nice long list of stuff that your spouse did that made your life easier because you didn't have to do it. Now let's put a value to it. I want you to think if you had to hire somebody to do all the stuff that was on that list, all right, what would you come up with? I got my eyes open several years ago. My wife and I were uh, confronted by a guy who was trying to sell us uh, life insurance. Very good friend of ours. He wasn't a pushy or anything like that. Um, and so we kind of talked like, hey, Michael needs more life insurance because he works. And uh, my wife stays at home with our three kids. And he's like, but no, no, you need to understand. If something were to happen to you, what would it cost him to hire somebody to do all the stuff that you were doing? And suddenly when he said that, I began to think, wow, maybe my wife needs a whole lot more life insurance than I do. 
right? Although she put a bigger policy on me, so this is my, if anything happens to me, just know, all right? I'm apparently quite replaceable, but she is not, all right? So just understand, like, make out this list and then kind of attach this value to it. If you had to hire somebody to do all the stuff that your spouse does, my guess is that we're going to learn to appreciate what our spouse does. Let me give you another verse, and a very beautiful verse that kind of ties this topic, this one point together. It's, it's Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. and says this, A capable wife is her husband's crown. But a wife who calls a shame is like rottenness in his bones. Right? So wife and, and husbands, here's, this, is, this may sound very odd. Wives, I am telling you through Scripture that you need to be a trophy wife. Husbands, you need a trophy wife, and you need to treat your wife like she is a trophy wife. Right? We just need to define that a little better before you go out and be like, Pastor Michael said I need a trophy wife. Right? <laughs> You have one, you just need to understand it. So listen, let me explain what I mean. Think about it for a moment. What does a trophy and a crown do? Right? A trophy and a crown, both of them, you're going to use crown, I'm going to use trophy because that's the terminology we use. We don't talk about crown wives, we talk about trophy wives. Anyway, so I want you to think about what they do. They give honor and dignity to their owner. They, they set their owner apart. Whoever it is, the king, honestly, is a person like anybody else. But the king, when he sets the crown, when the crown is set on their head, they're set apart as something special. There, there's something about this person. There's honor. There's dignity. This person is special in a way that nobody else is. And so the crown sets the king apart. And the crown shows everybody this person is special. And they deserve your respect. They deserve your honor. They deserve your attention. They've done something great. People don't win trophies for just showing up. Well, I guess they do nowadays. But in, in good days, they don't just win a trophy for showing up. You win a trophy because you accomplish something. And you deserve people's attention. A trophy's job and a crown's job is to show off the greatness of the person who deserved it or earned it. That's what a trophy does. That's what a crown does. So listen to me, wives. That's what you're supposed to do according to Scripture. You're the one that's supposed to show off the greatness of your husband. You're the one that's supposed to show the dignity and honor to the husband. Your job, wives, is to be the crown and show people, draw attention to your husband. Not in a bad way, not in the way that you're drawing shame and rotten in his bones, but be the, so that when people see your husband, they're like, wow. He's something special. But can I tell you why wives aren't doing that? And maybe not all wives. Maybe I should qualify this a little bit. You know, part of the reason our wives are not our crowns and our trophies is because we didn't treat them that way. You see, here's the advice to the men, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come on this side because it's a little safer over here. I don't know why. I don't know. It's just I'm walking. It's, this is the man's side, and all of a sudden. Here's what I need to tell you. If you have a crown or you have a trophy... You don't treat it like the rest of your clothes, okay? I don't throw my crown, and I don't have a crown, but if I did, you don't throw a crown in the dirty clothes hamper and then leave it laying on the floor and gets run over. You don't do that with a crown. You don't do that with a trophy. You know what you do with those things? That you realize the value of that metal that is there. You see, crowns and trophies, they're, they're made of something precious. They're made of something unique. They're made of something that's rare. And so you realize the value of that, and so you make sure that it's in a special place, that it's taken care of. You shine it up. You polish it. You, you, you uh, make sure it's neat and shiny. You take care of the precious rare materials, and you protect it, and you care for it. And so you do all that because when someone sees it, you don't want them to see this crown that's been thrown off to the side and treated like a pair of old sneakers. 
But don't we treat our wives that way sometimes? Listen, if you want a trophy wife, then you've got to treat her like a trophy that she is. If you want your wife to be the crown on her husband's head, then you've got to treat her like the crown. Protect her, care for her, care, polish her, shine her up, make sure that she is getting all the attention that she needs. That's what a trophy does. That's what a crown does. You have to polish those. And so wives be the trophy wife, but husbands treat her like the trophy that she is. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Pastor Michael, you, you just don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. They're just, they're different. I hear that all the time too. They're, they're different. They're just not like other wives or other husbands. And you're probably right. I probably don't know them, and they're probably not like other ones. Praise the Lord, they probably aren't like other ones. All right? But I'm going to tell you this, that if you're going to build a better marriage, you've got to stop the comparisons. Okay? Because did you notice what I said? They're not a good husband. They're not, a good wife. They're not like other people. You see, social media has done a lot for us over the last several years. It's helped us connect in ways that we haven't been able to connect before. It's helped us stream services in ways that we didn't see imaginable, we didn't think we were going to have to do several years ago. But one thing that social media has done in a negative light, it has reinforced these false realities that people live in. There are picture-perfect families on everybody's Facebook or Instagram. There, there are picture-perfect families that, it, that every, this is what a family looks like. And it's beautiful, and everybody's smiling. The kids are all dressed up, and they are all got their shirt tails tucked in, their right shoes on. And, and we forget that if you saw that same family some other time, they don't look like that. But that's the pictures we see all over social media. And then we begin to realize, and we begin to think, well... It's not just their, their families that are that way. Their spouse is that way. Somebody will post the, 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 what their husband did for them. And that's not a bad thing. It's good. Post that. Brag about it. Be the crown. Post that. But we get into a negative mindset when we're like, well, if my wife was more like that wife, if my wife looked like that, then I wouldn't have a problem treating her like a trophy wife. If my husband was more like that husband and did those things, then I wouldn't have a problem being the crown for him. And we've set up these comparisons in our minds of this perfect spouse. And we're always comparing our family and our marriage to this unrealistic pictures that we have. These false realities that don't really exist. That we're shooting for something perfect when it's not there. Now I'm not saying we don't work on it because I want to show you Proverbs chapter 12 verse 11. It gives us this reminder in chapter 12 verse 11. It says, the one who works his land will have plenty of food. But whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. You see, what sustains you and what satisfies you is not chasing some fantasy about what's greener on the other side of the grass or the field. It's not what's greener on the other side of the fence. It, what builds you and sustains you and what satisfies you is right that you have it. You just have to work at it. There, there's work that goes on. In it. So the man's land would include his house and his marriage. And so what sustains you is not chasing this false reality, this perfect marriage and this perfect spouse. If I had that, I would be happy. If I had a, a kids that were dressed like that and looked like that, everything would be great. You know what you're doing? You're chasing a false reality. You're chasing a fantasy instead of working your own land. Instead of working what's going to supply you and satisfy your own marriage. And so listen, if we're too busy chasing these false realities, these false fantasies, we've got to stop the, comp- or stop the comparison. We've got to say, hey, that's not true all the time. Nobody looks like that all the time. Nobody acts like that all the time. Stop this comparison. Well, if they were just like this, then I could be better. How about you just work the land that God gave you? 
Work on your own family instead of trying to match up to somebody else's. Set your own standard so that you become the perfect family instead of chasing somebody else's standard so that you think that you have to meet their standard. Work your own land instead of focusing on somebody else. And the, the, the fourth thing is that if we're going to build a better marriage, this sounds so simple, that we've got to build each other up and not tear each other down. And that sounds so simple, but we'll go back to what I talked about earlier, the negative ideas. You see in Proverbs chapter 14, again, it's talking about the woman, but it could be the same as man. And in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Doesn't say he lets somebody else tears it down. Doesn't say he lets somebody else take over. She destroys it with her own hands. I mean, she is active in the process of destroying her own home, destroying her own house. And so, listen, this is something that, that I, I ask couples to do all the time. If you are in a situation, you are either building or tearing down. There is not drifting, there's not middle ground, there's not just, we're just going to sit here for a while. You are either building or you're destroying. That's all there is. There, there's not a middle, we're just going to hang out here and be this for a little while. No. You're either building or you're tearing down. And so the real question for every one of us who are a husband or everyone who's a wife is which one of those are you doing in this moment right now? And I'm going to simply share this. If you're sitting in church and saying, I love you, you guys are writing notes. I don't know if it's like poke your husband or your wife with later, but some of you are writing this stuff down and that's great. You are building, okay? Because you're, you're going to do this stuff later, right? But, and, and I'm not saying if you're not writing down, you're, you're tearing down. Don't hear that, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But in every situation, you are building or you're tearing down. If you're at home and your spouse walks through the door, they came home from work or they came home from the grocery store, they came home from running kids around, in that very first moment that you talk with your spouse, are you going to build or are you going to tear down? That's the question. And you've got to respond to it. When you have a disagreement and you're fighting about something, are you building towards something or are you really looking to tear down? I can't tell you the number of couples that have sat in my office who have literally built their walls up and launched hand grenades across each other and, and torn each other down so much and then expect me to fix it overnight. It doesn't work that way. Because you spent years actively tearing each other down and then you want to rebuild. And understand they may be a little hesitant to do that. How about you should have been building up the whole time? So listen to me, husbands and wives. Every word that you say to your husband or your wife is a chance to build them up or a chance to tear them down. Every moment that you disagree and every time you have a fight, you've got a chance to build a better marriage or tear down what you were in. And I'll tell you this, that a lot of us use the silent treatment, okay? That we'll just stop talking. And, and it will, we'll just stop talking because we don't want to fight. We don't want to yell at each other. And so we'll just stop talking. And we think that's neutral ground. It's not. You are tearing down the home that you have. Because you only got so many years to build it and make it firm and solid. And every moment that you spend not talking, you spend tearing down. Your silence can tear down sometimes far more than your words can. And so every moment that you are in a situation, every moment that you're with your spouse, simply ask yourself that question, am I building up or am I tearing down? You see, nothing will tear down faster than a nagging wife or a wife who's always looking for a fight. 
Right? Nothing will tear down faster than a husband who allows a wife to nag. Right? We're going to see what that looks like here in just a second. And I say nagging wife because in the book of Proverbs, it's, it's very interesting. There are themes that are repeated every so often. Okay? And one of them is the nagging wife. Right? He describes it four different times, or he talks about it four different times. Now, in fairness, Solomon was not like us. Solomon had 300 wives, and 700 other women are on the side. I'm guaranteeing you at least one of them was this nagging wife that he's talking about. Okay? Had to be. That may be why he had so many. Just surround, I don't know, but I'm just kidding. But we see this nagging wife, and he describes her four, he talks about her four different times. I want you to see in chapter 21, he does it twice, in verse 9 and verse 19. The first one, he says, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a nagging wife. Let me give you another one, verse 19 of that same chapter. It's better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. So I don't know if he meant to be a progression there, but think about this. Like, you'd be better off on a hot tin roof, like just cornered on a hot tin roof by yourself than spending a great time in the house if your wife is nagging. And then that even gets so bad, you'd be better off in the wilderness, or a different translation would say in the desert, where nobody else is around you, than with a nagging and a hot-tempered wife. Right? Now, let's be honest. There are some men that are just as bad. Okay? All right? So you don't have to poke anybody. You don't have to nudge anybody. But there are some men that would fit the same definition. Again, it's written from a dad to a, to a son. But I want you to understand, this is the warning. This is how bad this is. He describes her in two different, or use kind of the same analogy as this endless drip. In chapter 19, verse 13, he says, A foolish son is his father's ruin. Get this. And a wife's nagging is an endless drip. Chapter 27, verse 15, he picks up that same analogy. He says, An endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are alike. I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever either been at your house or somebody else's house and things are kind of loud and you don't really pay attention to it and then all of a sudden it's, it's bedtime. And you lay down in your bed and it is totally quiet in your house. Now most of you know i got three kids so that's the only time that it's quiet in our house. And you're laying there and you're just getting ready to go to sleep and all of a sudden you hear it. Drip, drip, drip drip and all of a sudden your eyes are wide open you're not getting to sleep tonight right? and isn't it funny how something so small as a drop of water can change so much not just what you hear and not what you not just the fact that you're going to lose sleep over this dripping but I want you to think, even if it wasn't dripping in a sink, even if it was dripping outside, right? So maybe it's outside and you've got a puddle out there and you just hear drip, drip, drip. Go back a few days later and see if the ground looks the same. It doesn't. There's a hole there. Water has driven itself into the ground. It has made a hole in the ground and displaced the dirt that's around it. You see, this dripping, this constant dripping will drive you crazy in the middle of the night. And honestly, if you live in uh, the city of Cleveland, not only is it going to drive you crazy that night, it's going to drive you crazy uh, because you're paying for every drop that drips out of that fountain in the water bill. But listen, for you guys that know this, there's a reason that faucets drip. And the reason is because there's this mechanism that opens and closes, opens and closes. And when it opens, water flows. And when it closes, it stops the water. When water drips, when the faucet drips, it means there's something that doesn't close all the way. It doesn't completely shut off. The two little parts that are supposed to meet and seal it up, 
They're not meeting and sealing it up like they're, they're supposed to. There's some unresolved place that's allowing water to flow through. Right? So hear this, men. Part of the reason that your wife may be the nagging wife is because there's an unresolved issue that is not allowing closure to happen. Right? And some of it may be a physical faucet. Right? Let me give you advice. Maybe instead of worrying about the nagging wife, you just need to fix the faucet. You need to find what it is that's causing the unresolved issue. Find out what's not closed up in, in bringing closure to that moment. Right? For some of you, and I, here's my moment of transparency. I worked on this sermon, and I literally had to go to Lowe's and buy a sink faucet and fix it because I've said we just turned the water off. That's how bad it was. I just turned the water off, and my wife hasn't had a sink. Um, we had two sinks in our bathroom, and we just used one of them. And so it was so easy to fix a faucet. And not that she's been nagging me about it. She just kind of gave up on the nagging because she realized that, you know, all that water that drips, it's just wasted. It's not going anywhere, right? And so she hasn't nagged me about it, but I was like, I can't preach about fixing a faucet and not fix the faucet. So I had to go do that this week. But here's what I'm... It took me very little time to do that. Husbands, let's be honest. There are some things that your wife is asking you to do that if you just did it, it would be so simple. And so easy. And guess what? When you do it, it brings the two parts together and there's closure and that re- issue is resolved and it stops the dripping. It closes the faucet and it fixes it. Right? Now, not everything is that simple. Some things are more complex. But if you don't close the mechanism, if you don't uh, fix the faucet, if you don't allow that unresolved issue to be resolved, then this is what you have to live with. And you guess what? You chose to live with it. Right? Because you didn't take the time to resolve the conflict or fix the faucet. You didn't fix the mechanism. You just kept letting it drip and drip and drip. Right? Which means you just kept wasting time and energy and effort in nothing. Right? So husbands, sometimes we got to fix the faucet. But wives, you're not getting out of this as well. Sometimes your husband has fixed the faucet and you just want to keep dripping. So you went over there and you pried it open because you just want to keep dripping. Right? Because it wasn't that, it was something else and something else and something else. Listen, deal with that faucet and then move on to another one. All right? You can't keep dripping the water. And so wives realize that if you're the one who's dripping, even when your husband has resolved the issue and you keep dripping, you're the one tearing down. And guess what? In those days, they didn't talk about a faucet that was dripping in the sink. They talked about water that ran off the roof of the house. And if you constantly let water run off the roof of your house, you're tearing down the foundation of your house. So listen to me, wives. Even though the husbands need to fix the fountain or the faucets, wives, if you are the constant drip, then what you're doing is you are tearing down from the foundation of your home. Right? One last piece of advice that I'll give you, and we'll finish with this, is that simply don't let stuff get in the way of your marriage. There was a, a beautiful song several years ago, a long time ago, in the early 90s. Some of you may know it. Uh, Doug Stone had this song called Little Houses. And the chorus of the song simply says this, But we know... That love grows best in little houses with fewer walls to separate. Where you eat and sleep so close together, you can't help but to communicate. This echoes what Proverbs chapter 15 and Proverbs chapter 17 say. Proverbs 15 verse 16 and 17 says this. It says, Better to live with the fear of the Lord than with great treasures or than with great treasures with turmoil. All right? I like that verse. That verse is easy for me. I'm going to have a hard time with verse 17. Some of you guys that know me personally, you're going to see this. This is a hard verse for me. Verse 17. Better a meal with vegetables where there is love than with a fattened ox with hatred. All right? 
Some of you are laughing because you know there's only two vegetables in this whole world that I eat, and I cannot understand how you could have a meal full of vegetables with lettuce and celery, but it's possible, apparently. Um, it's better to have that than the best choice of steak. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1 puts it this way. It says, Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. Let that set in for a moment. You would be better off eating bread that is stale and vegetables than the most choice cut of meat that is out there. You'd be better off eating bread that honestly may even have a little mold on the edge of it and vegetables in a house that's full of love and peace than a huge feast that is constantly there of all the best choices and meat that you could ever have. This is where I have a hard time with the Bible, all right? Just because this is where I... But understand, this house, it doesn't matter what you put in it. It is full of strife and hatred. This house understands that sometimes love grows best when stuff doesn't get in the way. That bigger houses and better stuff or more stuff, they're not going to help you build a better marriage. If you think that moving to a bigger house because you have more square footage, if you think that building onto your house because you're going to have more square footage is going to help you, if you think buying that next thing is going to make your marriage better, it's not. You see, stuff and money is never going to make your marriage better. If you're going to build a better marriage, then you've got to start with the fear of the Lord. The idea that we, we love Him and then we transverse that love to each other. That we love each other deeply. And, and when we do that, anything, it's better than all the stuff that gets in the way. Stuff like phones. Stuff like television shows. Stuff like uh, technology that honestly gets in the way of a house that should be full of love and should be full of peace. Let me give this last piece of advice, and this is just the practicality of, of these verses that, that uh, we let stuff get in our way. Husbands and wives, you will spend a lot of time together, all right? And I know I'm not the only one guilty of this, because I tell folks all the time, I talk with folks all the time, you'll sit next to each other on a couch or maybe in your bed, and both of you will be sitting there just like this. You're watching something, you're checking something, you're playing something. And then when I ask couples, like, well, do you guys spend time together? Oh, yeah, we spend hours together. Really, tell me what you do in those hours. Well, we sit and the TV's going and I'm on my phone and she's on her phone. You haven't spent any time together. What you've done is you, you let stuff get in the way of the love and peace that should be in your house. The reason you're sitting in my office is because you replace love and peace with stuff that blocked what it was that you were trying to get, that blocked all this, what you were trying to build on. You see, what you're causing is a house that is divided. What you're causing is two different people living on the same roof, and so you got all this better house and all this technology, and what you're really doing sometimes is building a bigger debt, and it's going to cause more arguments. And so the advice is simple. Don't let stuff get in the way. You see, if you're going to work and strive for a house and a home, don't work and strive for a house that's full of stuff. Work and strive for a house that's full of love and peace. And if you're going to focus on building a better marriage, that's where your focus needs to be. How is it that we can have love and peace instead of strife and fighting? And if even we ought to live on the crust of bread and vegetables, it's better than living in the richest neighborhood and drowning on the biggest debt that we can. 
You'll fight less over vegetables and crusty bread than you will over the most choice cut of beef that you had to go in debt over your head under. Stuff will never build a better marriage. Don't let it get in your way. Let's pray together.